Welcome to More Than Maple Syrup, the podcast from eatnorth.com, where we talk about Canada's culinary scene and beyond. And of course, we break down the latest episode of Top Chef Canada. I'm Emma Waverman, a food writer in Toronto, and I'm joined by Phil Wilson, a food writer in Edmonton. (laughs) Hi, how are you? I nailed the intro for the first time, but I left some dead air. (laughs) That's okay. That can come out real easy. So this week was the finale of Top Chef Canada, what we've been waiting eight weeks for. So we're going to skip the food news and go straight to breaking down Top Chef. We're all Top Chef, all episode. Even if you didn't watch the Top Chef Canada season, you should listen to this finale because you should know who won. Yeah, and then you'll be so excited by what we have to say, you'll go back and listen to all of our other episodes. (laughs) Backwards. (laughs) Sometimes they're better backwards. (laughs) Who knows what we say backwards? Who knows what we've subconsciously put in there? Exactly. Well, I guess first off, do you think the uh, finale episode lived up to the hype? Yes, because I think there was definitely some tension there. We weren't sure who was going to win, so that's good. Yeah, I thought it was a good episode. As I said last week, what I'm looking for on the finale is I want to see food, not seafood, but seafood's okay too. But I want to see them prepare dishes that I just want to eat, like I want to just dive into. So it looked to me like there was some amazing food served at judges' table. So I think that was good. I thought it was... Interesting. I I mean, I get bored if I think I already know what the outcome is going to be. And that wasn't the case for me. So that really held my interest. And I I thought there was a bunch of people, like pretty much anybody could have won. Yeah. I I don't know. I I was really on the fence about who was going to win going into this episode. And I think that makes me interested to watch the rest of it. The question is, do you think winning Top Chef Canada makes you a bit of a celebrity? Like, do we have a new celebrity in our midst? Well, a Canadian celebrity. Yeah, which is like, <laughs> it's not even on the in the same universe as an American celebrity. But. Yeah, like a regional chef on a TV show in the States still somehow seems to get more <laughs> credibility than winning Top Chef Canada, I think, sometimes. I don't know. Hopefully that's starting to change. I don't know that I necessarily love the idea of it being a celebrity thing because I'm not, I'm just not really wowed by celebrity. I'm wowed more by talent and and by people themselves than I am you know a celebrity I'm not a I'm not an autograph seeker so I don't really care about that it's good for the restaurants and it's good for the chefs if people know who they are and want to come because they've seen them yeah and so I would like to reward skill so I think that if the winner of Top Chef Canada is a fantastic chef then hopefully he'll get or she will get the attention and dollars so that's I think what Top Chef Canada hopefully does is it provides a platform for some of the great talent that we have in this country and we really do have great chefs here but are we still mad that Matthew's not there like do we feel like he should have been in this episode well I'm not mad I (laughs) I, it didn't cost me anything (laughs) we're not as mad as he is it didn't cost me a hundred grand so whatever no, I mean, you know, it's a, it's irritating. There's no doubt about it. However. So do you, do you feel like it's diminished, the, that this finale or even the season was slightly diminished by that situation? I think it was a pretty big gaffe. So I think it's hard to say that you wouldn't find that to be a little bit diminishing on this season as a whole. Not to say that the final four and who won weren't fully deserving. I think anytime you win something, you want to be right. the best. We don't want to take anything away from them. Yeah. I agree. I think that there's always a problem when you, if there's any chance that you can sort of cast aspersions onto the episode or onto the show for any reason. So I don't know if they jumped the shark on that episode, but 
it would have been nice if Matthew had, if he wasn't going to be in the finale, if he had lost because of something he could. But that said, these are four great people, and I think we're pretty excited to see them. And these four great chefs had one task to get them into the finals this week, and that was recreate the dish that put you in the bottom. Right. So, and they had all been in the bottom, so except for some more than others. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's de- that's definitely true. No <laughs> doubt about it. So we have... In this case, yeah. uh, JP had to recreate his raviolo, uh, ravioli brodo. Right. So if people can remember, that was early on, and that was... He made a great story about that dish, which was it was like a chicken and an egg and a chicken and an egg chicken, but then it didn't live up to its possibilities. It had the bad... Pa- it was just one of the many bad pastas. And then Jin Hee had to recreate uh, coconut and frozen from an earlier challenge, which I thought... It's kind of it's kind of nice. And that was just a quick fire. Yeah, and you know what? What I liked about that one is that that left the door wide open. She didn't have to recreate the same dish, whereas JP had to create. He had a dish that he was supposed to recreate, and Jin He just had a concept. Well, I was he or could he could he have created anything from eggs? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, I think he chose to do the dish again for redemption. That's true. But he could have done any egg dish. He could have made eggs Benedict, for instance. Oh, that always goes over well. <laughs> yeah, especially when served on a piece of dry, hard vegetable. Or maybe vegetable. he should have done an egg dessert. Oh, yeah. Desserts the also. Only thing that, that's the only thing that fails more regularly than a pasta on this show. Yeah, <laughs> dessert. <laughs> Eden never got her chocolate. Yeah. And then Mark had to recreate his famously terrible Turkish pizza. Uh, that was the hardest in some ways. I don't know. I think it was the easiest to fix his his terrible mistakes from it. True. Because the dough was so bad and pizza dough, hopefully he figured out what he'd done Yeah, wrong. you would think so. I mean, it's it's a little bit harder to kind of do something that you haven't done with it. But, uh, you know, I mean, JP made the exact same dish. I mean, he did say, do you remember he said, oh, well, even though I like my dough crispy, I guess that one was too much like a cracker. Like, he was still trying to save the bad pizza yeah, that he made. still a little bit trying to say that that cracker was okay, but... Yeah. Yeah, I was like, no, dude, give it up. Give it up, Mark. That was awful. Move on. <laughs> so, but he, to be fair, he definitely broke down that Turkish pizza. Well, it wasn't recognizable, and I think part of my issue with that dish, they loved it, the judges, but I thought, is that is that too far out of the box as far as pizza? But it, on the other hand, it's typical Mark, right? It's exactly what you're not thinking, yeah. and he is. Exactly. Reconceive it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Although he put the bread back in the blender. You know, I don't the like bread that. bread emulsion. Emulsified bread. No. But they raved about it, so I'd be willing to say maybe Mark could make a bread through a straw that I would like. My, my guess is that it just tasted so good that they overlooked how far away from a pizza it really was. Because, I mean, couldn't you really do that with anything? Do you just take two main ingredients from something you made? And make another dish with it and call it pizza? Eh, I don't know. It would really, yeah. really have to remind me of flavors of pizza when I ate it. But I guess it did because they loved it. They did. And then Ross had to recreate his so. uh, lobster bisque, which for a Newfoundlander to fail on lobster oh. bisque was kind of embarrassing anyways. But I'm sure he was probably really happy to get the chance to redeem himself on that one so he can go home. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he was happy to get that because this is our man from Newfoundland who only cooks with Newfoundland ingredients. He's been on the bottom three times, and then they hand him Atlantic lobster to redeem himself with. So Come you're on. saying the fix is in, and you think they were after Ross to win? I, you know, I find this unexplainable. <laughs> like, he was on the bottom three times, 
and they handed him a the a dish or a product that he probably works with almost every day since he was a kid and has eaten so many times. I just thought it was it felt too easy to me. I I don't know. I have written in my notes like super big, like unfair advantage. <laughs> yeah, I I think you know my opinion is that Ross was given out of the four chefs, he was given a dish that he probably has screwed up once in his life, and it was on this show. And he's probably nailed every other time. Exactly. He could probably make it blindfolded. I bet I'm not the only one who was like, whoa, that seems easy to give him. And he was on the bottom three times, so it wasn't like they didn't have other dishes. Do you remember what his other dishes were on the bottom? Like, what would you have given him if you had the choice? Well, one of them was the the fried cod bladder. They loved the crispy part, but the remember the sauce he made with uh, salt cod was too way, way too salty. Right, right. So that was one. So, I mean, I was kind of like, okay, I guess that would have been, what are they going to say? Because there wasn't a strict parameter, I think, on that dish. That was Restaurant Wars. And the one was the Mexican scallop. The Mexican dish. Yeah, it definitely it definitely struck me like Ross had the easiest time. Yeah, it's something that he could probably normally make blindfolded. It, you know, the time constraint is one thing, I guess, but they're all under the time constraint to make a dish that's going to wow yeah. you, right? So, I don't know. And he didn't sort of have to conceptualize anything. Or, I mean, Ross always cooks within the Newfoundland. He always, you know, and I respect that about him. I think we've seen other chefs in past seasons go home when they only stuck to their, you know, Todd Perrin, for instance, went home because he was only cooking East Coast food and it just, he couldn't squeeze it into the challenges. So I sort of respect Ross for saying, this is who I am and this is what I cook. But I felt like if in a redemption challenge, when it's the judge's choice of what he what they cook, they could have chosen to push him more. Yeah, I thought they picked the easiest thing for him to accomplish, and I, I'd be really curious to hear why. I'm sure from his point of view, it was he probably did a big fist pump and said, "Yes, that's exactly what I want." However, wouldn't like why wouldn't you give him something different if you were the one picking? Yeah, like they could have told him to cook a Mexican dish. True story. True story. But he made the bisque, and guess what? They loved they it. They loved it. <laughs> <laughs> because Ross Larkin from Raymond's can cook lobster. Yeah. If he's given two chances. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so if I ever go to Raymond's and I order the lobster bisque, I should I'll tell you what, two. the danger with giving him lobster bisque, though, from, from uh, Ross's point of view, what if he didn't nail it the second time could he even go home like when they give him his ticket to leave the show wouldn't <laughs> he be like happens. well just send me to vancouver or something because i'm not <laughs> they wouldn't even let him on the plane like, they're like forget it man you can't exactly. come back so yeah so they loved ross's they loved mark's and they also sort of loved Jimmy's. yeah it sounded like there were three she, hits and she did something totally different so instead of doing like instead of thinking oh i should freeze the coconut or make like a coconut sorbet she froze foie gras foie gras, and let that kind of melt into a coconut curry. Yeah, they really did seem to enjoy that as well. I guess it it really just came down to they enjoyed Ross's and, and Mark's crazy interpretation of pizza more. A little bit more, yeah. They felt like maybe Jinhee had, they'd sort of tasted something like similar of hers before. Right. So I think... Which is weird because this wasn't challenge of cooking something you had already cooked but anyway yeah so i thought i thought they made a fairly simple cut like i I thought of the four jps was probably number four yeah i agree and and you know and i like jp and i think he's talented but he never it didn't seem like a natural fit 
with the other three? Not not really. I think the other three were a little bit on uh, just a, a little bit higher level. Or they just their momentum was yeah. yeah. You know, I, I, yeah, it just really came down to, I think, being number four out of 11 really good chefs is not a problem. Uh, you know, you can't really make the case that he had a better season than the other three. I think Jinhee definitely had the better season than he did. And though, I don't, is this the time to talk about this? Is the finale based on the season or the dish? You're in Toronto. Go find someone. Make it happen. Get an interview for us. <laughs> <laughs> I... They're going to tell us that it is the day. It's not based on the whole season. It's based on the dish, which I find bizarre. And I've said this to you before, Phil. I don't get it. I'll tell you what. Um, if you're Top Chef Canada, it should be based on eight weeks. I think so, too. Yeah. I, I think they would give you the PR line if you ask somebody in the know that, no, it's always based on the week, blah, blah, blah. How can you not factor in? If somebody was kind of average for a lot of the season and then had one good dish are you gonna crown them the winner anyways we are sad to see jinhee go because uh, here at more than maple syrup we have been quite fond of jinhee and thought that she was a great addition to the show she cooked great food i there's probably i can't think of one thing i wouldn't have eaten that she made everything just looked totally delicious. agree i'm, I'm really looking and forward she's to also food. great she's fun to she watch is. she's uh she always looks like she's having fun. Like even sometimes you can tell she's struggling just a touch with wording things correctly in English, which yep. makes her even more likable. Yeah, she seemed likable. So I'm going to say Jinhee for All-Stars. Yeah, that would be my pick if we were going to have someone from this season in All-Stars. However, I don't know how you could not find a way to bring Matthew back after what happened. Oh, I, I'm going to say Matthew and Jinhee <laughs> for All-Stars. There's no way Matthew's not coming back for All-Stars. So... If they have an All-Stars. Yeah. We need to have a couple more seasons of Top Chef Canada before they can do an All-Stars. Yeah, exactly. Or they're going to have to throw, like, food writers in there or something. <laughs> well, not me. You, fine. Um, so we're sorry to see Jinhee and JP go. However, that means Ross and Mark move on to the finals. Yes. So the last half of the show is Mark versus Ross, which is also West Coast versus East Coast. Wow, amazing how those storylines lined up. <laughs> wow. So are you saying the fix is in? I'm not saying it out loud, <laughs> but... And you okay. know what else? I found out recently that Ross uh, used to work with Dale McKay in Saskatoon. So now, and Dale McKay also started in Vancouver, or not started, but he worked there for a long time, had restaurants, and Mark's from Vancouver. So now I wonder, is there a connection there? And is this really, this whole Top Chef fiasco is just really a six degrees of Dale McKay? Because we've had Jesse, Nathan, and now you're saying Ross all on the season have all cooked with Dale McKay. Yeah. I think if we did a little investigative research, we'd find that every single person there has worked with Dale. So in the finale, they usually bring back people to help them cook. And usually, don't they bring back prior contestants? Usually it is. And I mean, in my most recent memory, yes, they bring back the prior contestants and then they get to pick. But that's not what Well, in this case, here. I think you know what happened is they're like, Nathan, we're not buying you a third ticket to come back here. Like, <laughs> get out. Twice you're out. Okay, because this this next move is something that I really want to discuss with you, Phil. All right. <sighs> okay, because I don't like being the kind of bad person here. I don't like being the total miss negativity. You secretly love it. They 
supposedly surprised the chefs. Now, I'm not positive it was a complete surprise, which for reasons we'll get into, but they say, oh, we brought some people back for you that you will know to help you out. And the door opens and in walks Jeremy Charles. So Jeremy Charles is the owner and the executive chef at Raymond's in Newfoundland, which is where Ross works. So he's Ross's boss and buddy, and they work together every day. Right. And not only that, he is considered by many to be Canada's best chef. In fact, Anthony Bourdain just said that on his episode of um, Parts Unknown last week. Superstar and Ross's friend, buddy, and co-chef in one corner. And then who does who does Mark get? Well, he didn't get any slouch either. He got Top Chef winner Matthew Stowe, who they don't work together every that day is... or anything, but, I mean, Mark's a caterer. Did they so. even know each I other? I don't know. I'm dying to know that as well. Dan is going to find that out for us in an interview coming up. Yeah, so Matthew Stowe comes in, and that's great. He's a Top Chef Canada winner, so he's been in the Top Chef Canada kitchen. He understands the stress. He understands you know, how things work with the cameras and all those. So that's, it's an advantage. But it is not as much of an advantage as the guy you work with every day who is the best chef in Canada. And whose concept of food lines up identical to yours. That's that's a big thing too, I think. You know, they're, they're on the same wavelength already, um, Ross and Jeremy Charles, right? Absolutely. It's an, they have an unspoken language between them. You know, they understand each other's food, the dishes, like the common goal. They have a common goal already. Whereas Mark has to explain to Matthew Stowe what he's thinking about. He has to explain Filipino food to him. He has to explain, you know, it really looked more like a chef and sous chef situation as opposed to Ross and Jeremy Charles is more like partners. That's true. However, I I don't know that it's... It should be really like a conspiracy, uh, conspiracy thing to me. Okay, these other guys work together, but Mark doesn't have a partner or or a mentor chef that he yep. works with every day. So who do you bring in for Mark? No, then? I I agree. Like I... if if Nathan made the finals, I think Dale McCabe would have been the person coming out of there, and you'd go, okay, well, <laughs> that makes sense. Everybody's getting somebody really good, right? And it just works right. out to me that Mark got somebody really good, just doesn't happen to be associated with him. Well, if Darren had made it to the finals, would have Antonio Park come in? Then it would have been like Jeremy Charles versus Antonio Park. Sure, why not? The, the, then the big names would have totally eclipsed the the contestants. Well, there's that problem too, right? <laughs> you know, when you have a show called Top Chef and you bring in somebody who's better than everybody else that's on the show, you're like, oh crap. <laughs> I don't want to say it's a conspiracy, and I don't think that the producers made these decisions to, for, to make it easier for Ross. But I'm just saying that it doesn't. It just feels unfair to me, and it, it sort of colors how I view the rest of the show at this point. Yeah, I don't think it was a deliberate decision to try and give Ross an advantage or anything. I just think that it it worked out that way that who Ross got ended up being a bigger advantage than than who uh, Mark got to work with. Yeah, I think you you sound more calm than I was. I was I was yelling at the television, and I don't think I'm going to be alone. I think that our listeners, there's going to be people who were like, yeah, that made me mad. And it's not because I was rooting for Mark against Ross. It's not because I think Ross is a bad chef. I don't at all. 
I just thought, why would they create a situation where now if Ross wins, it's a little bit colored. It's a little bit tainted. It it doesn't fit. I think you know, there's another issue with uh, Ross and Jeremy Charles working together that, I mean, maybe it doesn't negate the advantage that I thought he had. Because I agree with you. It's an advantage for Ross. That's the first thing I thought when that happened. However, there's also a, a bit of a disadvantage that tempers it a little bit for me in that this is somebody who is your mentor. You're used to taking his suggestions and like, this is the guy, like if he says to do it this way, you would do it this way. So do you kind of lose your own vision a little bit if you're suggesting something and, and Jeremy Charles is looking at it like, I don't know. Do you start second guessing yourself a little bit? And this is somebody you're used to, he's the boss at Raymond's. So how do you yeah. now boss him around kind of thing? Yeah, that, I don't can, know. that can be an awkward situation. It it's, didn't I'm, seem you're like not, it, You have not convinced me. <laughs> I'm working it. I'm working hard on it. No, because I think that Ross's food is Raymond's food. That the, the food that Ross is putting out is very similar to what Raymond's already serves. So I don't feel like he'd be like, say to Jeremy Charles, no, don't put that lichen on that rock. I feel like they're already in sync. And then... If Jeremy Charles says, hey, this needs more salt, you're probably going to be like, okay, <laughs> thanks, buddy. Thanks for helping me out. It's not I mean, anyways, I don't see the conflict it's, there. It's true. I mean, I think we're on the same page that we both think that it was a, quite a clear advantage for yeah. Ross. Yeah, I don't know. So let's let's go through the meal to see how it all Yeah, because really it comes down to the meal. And I don't want to, I don't want to belabor the point about how somebody had an advantage too much, but. Well, or two advantages. Two advantages, Anyways, true. Two advantages for the most important meal of their lives. Ooh. That's what they kept saying. Okay, so what do they make? Whatever they damn well want. It's the Top <laughs> yeah. Chef finale. So they get to make, yeah, it's the finale. They can. They have to cook from the heart, make what they want. You know what they were told? Make your food. Make your food. So Ross, of course, does an ode to Newfoundland. And uh, Mark does a, the food of his childhood. Which, yeah, like all of a sudden, two weeks in a row, he's doing Filipino food like crazy. Well, but it, some he he had made, he had definitely had Filipino influences in some of his other dishes. So I'm okay with that. Now, this is, I was just a bit confused on the timelines because it looked to me like they had some product from their homes. Both chefs had access to some product that had flown in from their hometown. So I don't know if there was a gap in filming or what. Producers, no idea. We're not privy to that. Yeah, we'll just have to take it as it so, comes. Because Mark served a kushi oyster, which I love kushis. Delicious. Just a one-bite oyster. It looked beautiful um, with some creme fraiche and dill oil. And like most of his dishes, and they all look really nice, right? Like at, I remember in nice, episode yeah. one, he mentioned something about how I was plating it. People are going to love my plating, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, ooh, that seems pretty pompous. But really, he followed it up. He, his dishes always look really interesting. He uses color very well. Like not all chefs use color as well as he does, but he do, like he doesn't just throw some flowers on there. Like he really, his ingredients, they're beautiful to look at. So um, they loved his oyster, I think. One of the judges said it tells an incredible story in one bite. And Ross made a selection of Newfoundland, or these are the amuse-bouche. There was some moose. Yeah. Was it moose, moose, moose heart? Yeah. Moose tenderloin. 
There was moose. That's all we know. Pretty risque because it's very. You can't serve moose anywhere but in Newfoundland in a restaurant. But they would have different rules on Top Chef Canada. But so I've never had moose. Yeah, no, I I wouldn't say it. Moose is on my list of things I haven't had either. The, he had a selection. It was like three or four pieces there, but they didn't like one of them wasn't salty enough. And that's the only complaint was like a few grains of salt. So the, all the yeah. judges really in this whole last episode seem to be struggling to find things to complain about, which is a good sign. That's kind right. of what you want to see at the end, right? You've got two guys left and everything should be perfect. The next course, the appetizer. Ross makes a scallop with a dashi sauce and uni, which looked delicious. And then Mark really goes like totally out of the box. He makes, it tastes like a burger, but it's not a burger. And it's vintage Mark, right? Yeah, like it's like, um, it actually reminded me a little bit of how, Ma- I think it was Matthew Sullivan made the kimchi, the rainbow. Yeah, it, it reminded me of the kimchi, the rainbow kimchi when he took, he broke down the flavor separately. So he did the same thing with the burger. He made like a tartare, they made like a mustard sauce, and then a roasted tomato jam that was supposed to be like the ketchup. And then when you ate it all together, it tasted like a See, burger. and I've had dishes like that in the past where somebody gives me that story and it, yeah, that sounds all great. And then when you eat it, it doesn't really taste like a burger. I'm like, well, this was a whole bunch of bullshit. But it really sounds like his tasted like a burger. But this was not. And Eden, our queen of junk food, said like, <laughs> she said, I can't handle what he just gave us. She loved mm-hmm. it. And Mark McEwen said about both dishes that he was humbled. Humbled by the food. So it seemed like... They humbled the great chef, Mark McEwen. <laughs> or maybe he was just out of stuff to say. This is the last episode of the season. I, I've used everything <laughs> I can think of. I got nothing, guys. I got it. I'm done. I was just mad he never said high-performance cheese. Because, come have. on, how could we have a finale without him saying high-performance cheese It's again? ridiculous that somebody didn't get that in there somehow. Okay, next course. Mark makes a tuna ceviche with white truffle, which they the judges were okay about. They said good but not right. great. And Ross makes a sea bass with a sea urchin sauce and confit of onions. Oh, yeah, the sea urchin sauce instead of a beurre blanc. Right. They loved it. Right. Each ingredient sings. Uh-huh. So that I think round one was kind of that one I would put the check well, mark the for Mark. Well, Mark, yeah. And then the second course was, I think, even, would you say? Yeah, it's everything. I think they liked Mark's creativity. Right. I would say they liked the taste of both of them, but they were really wowed by Mark's creativity. And then this round, I thought Ross took that one. Clearly Ross yeah. in this round. They still liked the tuna, but yes, clearly Ross. Then the next course, which is the main course, Ross made a wild hare and port- partridge with chanterelles. And he served the sauce in its flower petals that were na- that are native to Newfoundland. Very fancy. Yes, it was quite, it was a nice touch. Yep. Very elegant. Um, yes, very much yeah. so. And and again, really expresses who he is. I thought that's one of the dishes that he put up that he he was most happy with, and the judges were most happy with. And that's a that's a really good sign if you're if you have enough awareness that the dish that you know is the best, everyone else also thinks the best. Boy, yeah. you know you're you're on yeah. the right track. And Janet said it transported her. Wow, it was spectacular. So they loved it. And then Mark had a nice story about how every day after school, he 
he would go and get, I think, fried rice. And even now he goes to the mall and he gets like fried rice with barbecue duck. Um, and so that's what he made. He made a barbecue duck with a scallop and with some rice and a rosewater XO sauce. And it looked good. But as a chef for eating, you know, you can always see when one of the judges looks up and says, is anybody else's? You're like, uh oh, what? <laughs> is anybody else's duck cold? I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> like of all the things to mess up. Yeah. Your meat is cold? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, Mark was putting a lot of effort into creating elaborate stories for these dishes. Yeah. And that's awesome when the dish is really good. But when the dish doesn't really deliver, now it just seems like it's nothing but story. Well, I thought maybe he just got overwhelmed with the details of so many things going on and happening. But they, didn't one of the other judges the, said something about the, didn't like the flavor combination either. Like it just yeah. it didn't go over very well the whole dish in general, right? No. But I think that cold so, duck was that was a big one. That was a big mess. Yep. So so we're giving this one to Ross again. Point for Ross. And then the dessert. And <laughs> And I mean, it just reminded me because Ross has said many times during the season, like dessert is not my thing. I don't like overly sweet desserts. And he has served a couple weird desserts. And then uh, he pulls out the parsnips and I'm like, oh, here we go again. And, well, and one of dessert. the judges said something about, oh, I was really worried when it was parsnips in the dessert. And I thought, woo, one of my favorite desserts ever has parsnip in it. Like there's a par- parsnip pot de creme at a little bakery in San Francisco that... Every time we go to San Francisco, that's like one of our first stops. We always go there and get that. To me, Ross is a big fan, and he's done it over and over in this show where he makes less sweet desserts than everybody else wants. So I think he must have taken a couple of notes from prior critiques and upped the sugar a little because they love this dessert. They did love this dessert. And I'm, I'm going to tell you this, Phil. It feels like every episode there's something where I'm like, you know what? I don't really like parsnips. I can't I can't even with you sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really a picky eater. But no, it sounds like it. I can give or take. They have a weird, like, sweet and bitter taste. Oh, they're good. They taste earthy, but a little bit sweet still. Like, when, when they're treated right, parsnips are awesome. Yeah. No, like, you know, when you have, like, my mom makes these beautiful, like, platters of roasted vegetables and I'll just put a whole bunch of my plate and I'll be eating them and then I'll have one bite and I'll be like ah parsnip <laughs> yeah, tune into the end of the episode where we actually say who won <laughs> but until then listen to us complaining about each other's dislikes <laughs> so Ross made his parsnip dessert they loved it he deep fried parsnip would actually maybe would make parsnips delicious he did make it like a pastry shell mm, that was really and Mark cool, made hallow hallow that skin that he made that he basically scooped out the insides and left the skin in it and it made this little curled dome over the dessert yeah, that crisped it was up beautiful. it looked really, it really cool. was yeah it was beautiful and exactly what i want from a top chef in the way that i want something i would never do and never think yeah of. that was a top chef dessert except for that it was parsnip <laughs> <laughs> so, moving on get over it mark made uh hello hello which i actually love hello hello um, and Hello Hello is a Filipino dessert, and it's just got a lot of really tropical flavors in it. It's got coconut jelly and pandan, sometimes mango, frozen 
ice milk and I, it's just delicious and refreshing on a hot day. And he and Mark said he wanted to really do something very Filipino. And so Halo Halo is that. And it was beautiful the way he did it. Again, worked with a lot of different colors. He had purple and green and red and white. Yeah. It, 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 and again, I think it was typical Mark in that it was just super interesting to look at. You could have just looked at it for 10 minutes trying to figure out what every component was. It's always always interesting food with Mark. It's never a dull moment. He the hello and they really liked it. And they said it wasn't overly sweet, which sometimes hello hello can be. And Janet said that he does does magic tricks. I think that was a draw of the desserts. Yeah, it's tough to pick a winner out of those two. So um, then we go to judges' table and the judges start discussing. They don't give us too many hints, really. <laughs> they just said they were both great arts artists well and and mark McEwen mentioned that you know it was so close that they were nitpicking these tiny details like with ross's Mm -hmm. meal it was it came to you know the only thing they could complain about was a couple of grains of salt on one dish i have nothing interesting to say they were both good well it's a tough judges table right there's nothing more boring than listening to a bunch of people say how awesome things are (laughs) yeah that's true and the only thing that was interesting was when they asked them they asked Ross and Mark what were their favorite dishes that they had served that day. And Ross said he liked his partridge dish, and the judges agreed. And then Mark said he liked his duck dish. Which is the dish that they all thought was easily his worst. Yeah. So I guess my question and for then... you on that is, do you think his answer to that question had any impact uh, in on the judging's table, or did they just take the food as it is? I don't know. As soon as he said that, I was like, "Uh oh, I'm hearing some, I'm hearing some singing." Like I, I don't know. So, he liked his duck the best. They said they weren't convinced by the execution of the duck. Right. And we start to see how this episode is going to wrap up. <laughs> well, one of the interesting things I thought was uh, somebody in an offhand comment at the judging table said, when recapping all of the dishes, that. Ross didn't really have a miss, and Mark had a couple of dishes that didn't quite hit the mark. And I thought, well, I, I think thought they only the didn't like one bet- dish, the, didn't they? They didn't love the tuna with the white truffles. Yeah, I thought they still liked it. They just didn't like it as they much liked as Ross's. It. What I got from the judges' table is that Mark's highs were extremely high. That he, when he does well, he just it he's unbeatable but whereas ross just showed more consistency through the and one of the things that one of the judges mentioned and i think it might have been mark McEwen as well he mentioned that uh, mark had a hell of a lot of talent there's a big future for this young man and ross showed uh, a lot more maturity which to me translates to consistency you know you you felt like when you ate something it was deliberately good Whereas sometimes with Mark, you're like, is he trying something and it happened to work out good? Or was that deliberately, he knew this was going to work. Whereas I think every time Ross has had something good, he knew that was going to be good. Yes, I think that's true. And I think what we've heard from other chefs that we've interviewed is that they all said that Ross's focus was incredible to watch. And I think that we saw that in this meal was that when he's on target, because of his focus, he can create a really consistent meal. He he sets his goals and he achieves them. He doesn't spend a lot of time joking around in the kitchen. He's focused on his dish. 
No, he's a very focused guy. And so focus often means great execution. Whereas Mark is a bit more all over the place and maybe a little bit more, you know, he's trying to deconstruct and reconstruct on the go. And so that means that when he hits a high note, it's really, really great. But maybe that means he flounders once in a while. Right. Well, I think... So I think... again, I think you look at the whole season. This would be the point where I would say, let's look at the whole season. We have Mark, who's been pretty much number two in almost every challenge. Yeah, he, he hasn't been on the bottom very much, but he also hasn't won a ton. No, but he has shown consistency over the season. True. Of always doing well in both quick fires and eliminations. And Ross had a bit of a slow start, but he's been really coming on. And then really he was in the on. bottom th- three times. Three times in the bottom. True. But I would make the argument that over the last, what, three weeks? Is it three or four since he got rid of his elimination? Or is, is <laughs> that immunity. immunity? The immunity curse. Ever since that, I would say he's been the best performer since that time on. Agree? Or disagree? Hmm. Hmm. Well, once I got rid of Matthew Sullivan. I was just going to say, this is uh, this is where you're going to say Matthew Sullivan's still the best performer, even though he's been gone for episodes. No, I mean, I wouldn't. <laughs> I think, I don't think he was the best. I think he was the, a great competitor. Those two things may or may not be the same thing. So who do you think was the best in the last few weeks? I would probably, I, I would say Mark or Ross. I would say overall, for if you took the entire season, Mark had a, a bit stronger of a season. But the last few weeks, Ross kind of took over the competition, I thought. Right. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll mostly agree with However, you. I still think Jin He should win. It's ever, he still was in the bottom three times. <laughs> he was. In a row. And he lost Restaurant Wars. It's true. And and I he was know. in the bottom. We don't with know Mark what the judges week. actually. You know, I'd I'd love to know. Like, I would have loved to see the judges arguing a little bit more because obviously they're going to disagree just as you and I disagree, and we never really get to see that. We never get to see the juicy disagreements. Yeah, I want to see how they come to the decision. You know, I'd like a little bit more of that. Yeah. One of the judges told me when I went to the launch was that the judges um, sometimes line up like Mark McEwen and Janet Zuccarini often agree with each other. And then Eden and Majune will agree with each other. And then Chris Nettlesmith kind of goes between them. Right. So, but we never saw that on the show. No, that's, that's in the director's cut. (laughs) (laughs) Which we'll do a whole new podcast series on. Okay. So what did they decide, Phil? Well, they decided that Canada's top chef. Season six is Ross Larkin. They did decide that. Mm-hmm. Is that what you would have decided? I'm a bit on the fence. I would say I probably would have used the entire season a little more than maybe the judges did. And having not tasted everything, it's also... I'm not upset with, with Ross either. I think he had such a strong last few weeks. And like I said, last week's podcast, uh, if, if this was another week or two long, this competition, and he kept winning, you'd be talking about him as the clear front runner. Here's where I want to go back to something we have talked about in this episode already, which is because he got the lobster in the quick fire and because he got Jeremy Charles, it doesn't feel like a clean win to me. I think he probably still would have won because I think his focus would have still allowed him to create a consistent meal, but it allows me to question it. And I think that was the producer's choice and I don't think it was the right one. Yeah, I think it was a it was a poor choice, no doubt about it. They should have given him something else, um, because now you have idiots like us talking about it. 
<laughs> right. And I will guarantee that on Monday morning, we are going to find Twitter is going to be alive with people saying it because same way as they were upset about the way Matthew left. I think that people are going to feel like there, there was, he got some advantages on purpose or not on purpose. And I feel bad for Ross. I think he's a great chef. And I think that it takes away a little bit from his win. Well, and that's just it. I, I don't really want to take away from guys. Like, he worked hard for it. It's not his fault what they give him. So No, not at all. I think it's you could chalk that up to a number of, of decisions that were made in this season um, by the show management that I would kind of question. I don't know why they would do it that way, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, maybe Maybe some of these decisions are made for the exact purpose of getting people arguing about things talking. and talking about yeah. it, right? But all all media is good media. Well, I don't think all controversy is good in my opinion, but <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, I mean, it's not like somebody who was undeserving won. No, absolutely not. But I do wish that some of the factors that make it look like he had a bit of an advantage, which I think he clearly did, you know. I mean, he yeah. kind of got he got lucky. From his point of view, it's probably lucky. From other people's point of view, it's unfair. I don't know that I want to taint a really good moment for Ross. Right. I agree. Credit to Ross for doing a great meal. And from episode one to episode eight, staying true to who he is and cooking the food that he wants to cook and for really raising the profile on food from Newfoundland. Well, good for Newfoundland, right? You know, yeah. A smaller place like that that probably doesn't get the kind of exposure that maybe they deserve. It's It's great to have people talking about this chef from Newfoundland. Or now two chefs yeah, from Newfoundland. Yeah, he was definitely a good ambassador for his province. Yeah, and I think he used products from Newfoundland really well. So he did what he was supposed to do in there, and whether we thought somebody else did something better or not, I guess, you know, it is what it is. We'll we'll, we'll never well, know we until there. next season when they bring back people who we think got screwed this year. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good season. It had some things in it which were strange. I don't know... Yeah, a good season full of um, interesting looking food, some stupid decisions, some botched desserts, some terrible pastas, and some real high points. Should I tell the listeners that it's actually like midnight and I'm sitting in my closet (laughs) doing my podcast? And I'm sitting in my storage room and it's like 33 degrees in here. It's crazy hot. (laughs) With the kitty litter. (laughs) Yeah. It's a glamorous life, this podcasting life. Yep. Lifestyles of the rich and famous. All right, I guess that wraps up this season of Top Chef Canada for us. I don't know what you're going to talk about next week, but uh, I'm not going to be around the next two weeks because I'm celebrating the end of Top Chef Canada with a trip to Ireland. Okay, well, you enjoy, and uh, I don't have to tell you to go drink a lot and do some nice Irish uh, cheers. It's going to be all beer and potatoes for two weeks. Thanks for listening to this episode of More Than Maple Syrup. For more info on the podcast or its hosts, visit eatnorth.com. For Emma Waverman, I'm Phil Wilson, and we will see you all next week. Well, well, wait a minute. I won't see you next week. Uh, Emma will see you next week. No, I won't see them either. It's a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you always see them. You see them listening. <laughs>